This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Or like sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, where all of your questions will be given further questions. Uh, Bushy's my name. And, uh, this evening on Greening the Apocalypse, we've got a great guest coming up this evening who's just released a book and we're her first radio interview, so um, she's bundled up with nerves. Uh, oh, well, that, <laughs> probably when you say that, she will be. No, no, no. Before we get <laughs> to that, though, red wine. I'm looking at the hence we've got the medicinal, <clears throat> the vino. Adam Grubb, how you be? Do very well. Almost. I was just on the phone with Sarah Coles before, and we realised that we were both at home, and the show was about to start. Yeah. Because <laughs> daylight savings caught me off guard, but I we're did here. It. Even day three. Of day three. <laughs> yeah. Bless. <laughs> Superb. I'll get you a stepladder to change that clock up high on your wall. Sarah Coles, daylight savings got you too. Yeah. Ah. I, I think. Um, I think it's because both Adam and I both read that book, How to Be Idle. A few years ago, and nice. now we don't follow the rules. Do you know what? Many years ago in a different life, um, I was working as a, as a, a stacker, like a pallet stacker at um, one of the two major supermarkets about 1998, and I had a bunch of chooks at home, and I still lived at home with mum. And I used to talk about my chooks all a lot, uh, quite a bit. It's probably where uh, young Shrubby gets it from. And at the changeover one year of daylight savings, this guy came up to me and goes, Oi, knackers, which is what I say to everyone now. He goes, You keep chooks at home, don't you? I said, I do. He goes, How do they cope with daylight savings? <laughs> and I sort of <laughs> looked at him and I looked to the sky. There's no help coming from the sky. And yeah, so evidently, uh, <coughs> there's not, not everyone out there is a genius <laughs> like yeah. us. They don't have blinds. No, they don't have curtains, they don't have no. clocks. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing of the sort. And um, filling in this evening for Jed McCartney is Kent. How are you, Kent? Well, hey! Hey! He's <laughs> off mic. Um, we thank you very much for uh, filling some mighty shoes there. Adam, why don't you introduce our guest this evening? Well, you're catching me off guard. I only just figured out that it was Tuesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> the third. Well, we, we have in the studio with us... Uh, do you, do you like to be called Kath or Catherine? Kath. Kath. All right, well... The book says Catherine, but we'll be calling her Kath tonight. Catherine, Kath Wilson, who, um, her name might be familiar to you if you're a uh, reader of The Conversation. She's an editor, writer, researcher and tinkerer. She teaches in the university sector where she has a PhD in cultural studies. Um, she's published all over the place, really. And um, she edited Overland between 2002 and 2007. But we've got her in tonight to talk about her new book, Tinkering, Australians Reinvent DIY Culture. So welcome to Green the Apocalypse, Kath Thank Wilson. You. Thanks for making me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, well, but going on the book, I don't think that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Why don't we start with, uh, I don't know, so 
how how'd you go about writing this thing? From I get the yeah. impression it was years in the making. What piqued your interest as well? Oh, what piqued my interest? Oh gosh, that's a big story. Uh, well, my my father. Oh, so we, did we give the title of the book? We did. We did. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. My father was a great tinkerer yep. and um, taught me to weld when I was little, and um, I loved that. It was thrilling. But the story probably started like all good stories do with a failed relationship, um, romantic (laughs) relationship, because uh, my ex-partner and I bought a a house in Coburg which had great bones. It was a double front of Victorian and that was at the time when houses in Coburg were cheap. And uh, and we knew that... um, if we renovated together, that would be the end of our relationship. Right. And so he gave me three months where he wouldn't step into the house. Huh. And that was the most thrilling three months of my life and um, more thrilling than any overseas travel. And I learned I, I learned many skills, tradey skills. I learned to appreciate the trades and um, none of my architraves is straight, but... Um, but the house is held together with polyfill. <laughs> but I really, no, I really nice. got out of that enormous sense of agency and yep. autonomy and, and pride that you get out of, you know, material competence, even though I'm not that competent. But uh, I, I got that sense. Mm. And um, so I suppose that's how. And I've forgotten what you asked. You asked how, how did the book come again? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, 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 I interviewed, um, during my PhD, I interviewed 32 tinkerers and used a method called participant observation, which is pretty much, you know, working with them. And um, they wrote the book, really, more than I did. Yeah. So they, they honed the topic, you know, I kind of sat back and enjoyed the ride. Nice. We'll probably get to the idea of what defines tinkering, but it might also be worth asking within the definition of tinkering, how, how do, um, in quotation marks, how do tinkerers feel about being called tinkerers? Are they all on board? There's a no, 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 they're yeah. not all on board. Look, I, at the beginning of my PhD, um, I, I talked about them as DIY people, DIY technologists, all these labels that they didn't call themselves. Mm. And um, and it, it soon became obvious that everyone was describing tinkering or describing themselves as tinkerers. So they, they didn't all do that, but it, it soon became pretty obvious that that this is what they were doing. And, and so if if you were a panel of pointy heads, which I can see you're not, hmm. but if you were, like, asking me to defend my thesis, I'd say um, tinkering's a, a set of concerns implicated across a range of material forms. <laughs> but, um, see, that sounds smart. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, no, but it's really a way of life. And, you know, yeah. you and I were discussing this before. I mean, tinkering, it isn't just one thing. You can be uh, working from home. You can be renovating, upcycling salvaging things mm. reinventing things so it's not just one thing but it's an it's an approach to life and time as a whole yeah yeah i just remember being a little kid and when we had olives if you ate one that meant you'd marry a tinker tinker tailor soldier sailor rich man poor man beggar man thief yeah <laughs> if you ate one? nine olives you'd marry a tinker or one olive oh uh, it lacks you know, like yeah it, yeah, it continues over I would always try and marry a poor man because I thought that would mean they were ethical. Really? But then it just got complicated the older I got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also (laughs) tinkering, I remember that in fairy stories, a tinker was the creepy person that was selling ribbons from a wagon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of mythology. So that's not the right definition. Well, uh, look, there uh, there isn't a right definition, but there's tinkers and there's tinkerers. So the the tinker, you're quite right, the tinker um, roamed rural... Australia from uh, from oh, 
I think um, from first contact there were mm. there were um, people who roam rural Australia. And my my partner Mal Padgett and I are, t- are making a podcast um, about people who remembered the tinkerers. There are people around today, yeah. octogenarians. I can't mm. believe I said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> octogenarians who um, full points. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, who uh, who remembered. Um, the travelling tinkers, and these were people who would have wagons and they'd live in their wagons. And um, and farmers recall them um, hearing them coming, you know, even yeah. before telephones. And they'd, they'd mend equipment, but they also had very bad reputations as scammers. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Is that similar to sort of the gypsy culture in the yeah. UK? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it comes from. Um, so the Irish travellers were called tinkers, yep. and um, and they kind of recast themselves as gypsies, but then gypsies were stigmatised too. And, you know, if you're being gypped... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that's where the word gypped came from. Isn't that fascinating? It I is. No, I love those little details. So a pi- what's a pikey then? Is a pikey... No idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's the, from the film Snatched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or snatch. Yeah. Okay. Pikeys. Hey, um so but when, so obviously you've you've gone to see a lot of these people who are tinkerers but don't like to be called tinkerers. Um what kind of things are they getting up to? What are they doing? Oh, a lot of illegal things. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah. I I had a piece in Fairfax over the weekend on that. Uh one of the guys I interviewed Michael Candy. He would build resistance devices. So when the G Twenty summit was in Brisbane. Mm. Um, he made faux security cameras, which he and a few other people installed at the site because the police had been given extraordinary powers, and mm. and so there was an exclusion zone around the buildings. And um, so he installed security cameras, which were really projectors, and they projected images onto. Um, <laughs> it's called projection bombing now. It's a thing. You're right. Um, yeah, guerrilla projection or projection bombing. So. It, uh, he was able to get his anti-G20 messages out on footpaths and and um, and the sides of buildings. So that was that's fun. So people like him. Um, there's other people. There are other people who are doing amazing things to also resist kind of impositions of power. Like a story I like to talk about is um, a guy Michael Drinkwater who rigged his home to have solar and wind power, but his generator ran on polluting. Um, mineral diesel. So he was following this American couple who travelled across the states. I, I don't know if you know them. I, I think they're, they're called, the, strangely enough, the Tinklers or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they wrote an open source manual on how to make your own biodiesel, which you can make yourself with used vegetable oils mm. in the kitchen with um, caustic soda and yep. ethanol and and use vegetables. Yeah, we probably know a few people that. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you probably do that. You're Haven't done skilled. it, but yeah, no yeah, many yeah. that do. I think yeah. Adam drinks it. Yeah, you drink it. Yeah. Well, yeah it's you, good for you, the you complexion. Can make your version. For super, he's yeah. actually ninety-two years old, but look how young he looks. <laughs> so youthful. <laughs> I do smell a lot like fish and chips. That's the only downside. Right. Yeah. So Michael, um, once he'd learned to make it, he thought, well, I, w- I want to make lots. He wants to farm, mm. you know, make run his farm machinery on it and yep. and um, his vehicles, and so. He learned online, again, through open source material, how to convert an old New World dishwasher into a biodiesel processor. It had the right recirculating equipment, it had the right heating elements, and he did that. And he found that he could produce enough for all his machineries for about 13 cents a litre and mineral Mm. diesel's about $1.27. Yeah, yeah. 
a leader. Wow. And also he had this um, glycerine byproduct which he gave to his um, mechanic. It was a, a hand wash. Hand wash, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he, he exploited the spoils of other industries. So he got all his vegetable oils from the Mount Hotham garbage collector in exchange for a slab of beer and Mm. you know so there's all those informal exchanges happening all across Australia and that was common to all the people I interviewed they had all these Mm. systems of informal exchange Mm. Mm. what what ties them all together and there are other examples too that haven't come up which are things like um, things that we might classify as craft I guess is a pretty common theme in the book that's right Um, it seems to be people that are just correct me if I'm wrong but to to juxtapose it with something where it's like you're 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 following a, a single trade or you're mm. you're a perfectionist with specialized skills tinkerers would you say are people that are ready to approach problems as they um, come yeah. up and yeah. yep they it, use tactics rather than strategy and uh, yeah what's the difference What's the difference? Strategy is a tool of powerful people and it presumes control and predictability and, con- and, uh, and predictable outcomes. Yeah. Tactics are on the ground, here and now, on the fly, techniques of the less powerful. Mm. And these people use tactics. And something else that they all had in common, um, not only those informal economies, but consistent values, really, of anti-authoritarianism. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was interesting. Uh, that iconoclastic uh, approach yeah. that they had. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite photos in the book. There's a guy who's made. It's basically the shape, form, and everything of an iPhone. Yeah, but it's the eye slate. Yep. And so, for listeners out there who haven't read the book yet, I, I will spoil a small section. This guy's made was made of cedar, a bit of wood yep. on the back, yep. and some slate on the top, and then you can stick a piece of engineering chalk in it. Yep. So it's basically a notepad. You can carry it around with you and make a note of something <laughs> using right. chalk on slate. But its exact form, function, curves, the whole thing is the iPhone. Is the iPhone? That's right. That was. You, did you get one of those? I've got a few of those. I, I gave them all any? as Christmas presents. I didn't, <laughs> but I know what to get you for Christmas. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's quite a thing. I just thought that was one of the best parts in the book. I just thought that guy had yeah, just taken something very common. And as he kept saying, he really loved the form of this mm. thing. Like um, mm. he understood – what did he say? That I think I understand what Mr Apple was aiming for. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- that was another thing in common is that when you have this kind of material engagement, you really appreciate the form and qualities mm. of things in, in ways you don't when you don't have this material engagement. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Every one of these people would have had a workshop space of some yeah. sort. Can we just sort of touch on that a bit? And, I, and I'm coming from a perspective that I remember like my, my grandfather's old shed and my wife's grandfather's old shed and a bunch of sheds of, and workspaces that old men and women who I've met through my life, they're often very little, very well organised and a lot seemed to come out of them. And now I feel like when I drive through, say, a new housing estate or even an old area, you drive past an open garage, there's no workbench in there, there's actually barely any space for cars and there's all these racks full of boxes of who knows what. The workspace or workshop seems to be, if not entirely gone, maybe kept very separate to the home. Are these folks yeah. mostly working from home? And They are. They were all working from home. And Chris Block, the guy you mentioned who ha- has an iPhone, had like four sheds on his property. Yeah, right. <laughs> one for each. <laughs> yeah. Well, one for his boat building adventures. Oh, and, yep. you know, you'd need four sheds, really. Yeah, yeah. But that's another thing that was consistent. You know, their homes were organised around their tinkering and yeah. that's what makes them tinkerers, I think. Mm. You know, I, I, I rarely saw a dining room table that didn't have 
making stuff all over it. You know, mm. they weren't used as dining rooms or dining In the book, there's a lady who's a lab technician, but now mm. she's also a jewellery and, and she makes textiles and, mm. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, she lives around here. And yeah. shelv- shelves, what, to the roof? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You mentioned how, like, the home is the place of production. Mm. The, there was a fact you had in there which surprised me. So when we talk about work that's done in the home that's not monetized, that's mm. what we could, not necessarily just in the home, but we call that part of the informal economy. Yep. And you said that in the last 40 years, the informal economy has been growing relative to the formal economy. This is contrary to what I think I experience. So you could... Like, in, definitely I get, like, until maybe after World War Two, you know, it's like people did a lot more stuff at home. There was a lot of mm. cooking, mending, mm. making, all that stuff. And then it became a bit unpopular. And mm. you even mentioned in the book, like, it, um, in the... Like in the sixties, there was a there was a Spider Man bad guy called the Tinkerer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really part of a part of a broader thing where yep. things started being made without repair instructions, out yep. of cheaper material, that's and right. it started become easier and cheaper to buy, to replace something than fix it. Mm. All of which is a tendency of the informal economy to shrink. But you mm. say it's actually mm. been growing. This is encouraging. Yeah, well, look, I'm not an economist, but the way economics is measured is changing. Mm. And, and that probably accounts for that partly. But also... Some scholars say informal economies are growing because we, when you think about how much production happens in the home, not just renovation and school mm. projects and cooking and so on, but social media. I mean, that's production. Oh, right. yeah, so yeah. That, that has grown enormously. So people take photos more. Mm. People um, upload their own content. Right. I mean, if, if you measure... I mean, GDP is a really dodgy thing, but if you measure those things, there's right. much more production happening in the home. Okay. Yeah. As so, a social media professional, I find that really depressing. Yeah, yeah, that's not <laughs> yeah. necessarily... Like I'd rather have a jar of so jam good. than write something on Twitter. I know. Yeah. I've only just... Um, I'm just learning the dark arts of Facebook. I've only just started yeah, yeah. my Get Facebook out. Page. No, I photoshopped you guys to, this morning. You, you don't know. You were holding my book. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we will. <laughs> We can manifest that a bit later on. That's all good. You are on Greening the Apocalypse on 3 R, and we're talking with Kath Wilson, author of Tinkering, Australians Reinvent DIY Culture, just out, and she just signed her first copy. It's that hot off the press. Yeah. There'll, be, there'll be many more, though. Um, I reckon I'll get a quid for that. <laughs> did, dear eBay, did you make that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, dear eBay. <laughs> so... Before we went to the break, we were talking about how it, um, you'd found out that home production, economically speaking, has actually been increasing the last few years, although disappointingly, as you described, a lot of that was to do with the fact that you can consider your time on social media when you're generating content, in a sense, a contribution <laughs> to the economy. It's just not necessarily a very good one. Probably <laughs> home meth production as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, that would be. Drugs. We haven't, we haven't done that Drug it. Miles show yet, have we? Yeah. Oh, no, we yeah. sort of did. Yeah. I've heard there's yeah. people moonshining as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I wouldn't know about that. No. Um, but the modern condition with smartphones and internet is one of great distraction and not a lot of opportunity to really focus on work. And if we talk now about the, the benefits that the tinkerers themselves get out of this process of pulling out tools, pulling out materials, fixing things, inventing things, making things. It's one of the themes that comes through a lot is what uh, Mihaly Chik sent Mihaly. 
Do you need me to well say done. that again? Chick sent me Harley. Um, well done. Yeah. Did you look it up? Watch that on YouTube. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he's the Czech philosopher, isn't he, who yeah. um, talks about the concept of flow, which is a, really a synonym for getting in the zone. And that was, do you think that was one of the driving factors for a lot of the people that you interviewed to do what they do? Yeah. I don't know if it was the driving factor, but a lot of people mm. describe this this flow and 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 it is one of the compelling forces of um of of tinkering so a lot of people describe this kind of meditative state and you'd know yourself as as Mm. as tinkerers very often when you get into a project it takes on its own momentum and pulls you in am i close enough yeah you're good but you're banging the table just just be less slightly less enthusiastic Um, yeah, so people did describe getting into this flow in this zone, and um, and you know yourself when you're that engaged in a process, nothing else is happening in the world. Mm, it, yeah. It's a beautiful state, and it, it's quite meditative. And I think that's people mm. in their sheds often experience that yeah. too. Mm. Yeah. And do they leave their mobile phones out of the shed? They do. Yeah. I don't know, but no, no, because mobile phones, you know, you can use as measurements and you know met tools and everything. Oh, so. you got your spirit level on there. I can't speak for all tinkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is there a, a tinker is always thrifty? I don't think tinkerers are always anything because so, that's something I emphasise in the book. You know, there's no union of tinkerers. They're not necessarily a collective, although there's do-it-together forums and all sorts of things, but uh, there are repair cafes and iFixit forums. Mm. And mm. But, um, sorry, what was your question? I don't know. Like, are they always thrifty? Are they always thrifty? Um, this is a question I had for um, one of my um, protagonists, John Dalton, because he was in the the steampunk movement, and you know they're they're really full on tinkerers. Very He's a fellow who dresses as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah? yeah, 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 that's right. Well, he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amongst other things. <laughs> Amongst other things. And you know, I said, well, you know, what about all these plastic ray guns? That you know, is that is that really good for the environment? And what about you know, what about Bunnings purchases? And the the thing I found with tinkerers is, yes, they're thrifty, but they're generally indifferent if you you know there's there's all these serendipity stories about finding things at the dump or on hard rubbish and so on but you know it's no great sin to go to bunnings if you can't Mm. find those things you know Mm. it's always about tactics it's all all about the project really so yes yes they are Mm. but i hate to say they're always anything Mm -hmm. i think there's a bit of indifference there Mm. what about is any sheep farmer over the age of 60 a tinkerer just by default because what if there's a lightning storm and the sheep go nuts and smash a fence and then what are we going to do? And then they build it out of whatever's around. Mm. Farmers are always doing crazy things like they that. Are, the fa- farmers are the world's best tinkerers. Yeah. And mm. I come from a farming family and my great-uncle Reg in the 1920s built his farm at um, Swample just outside of Benalla. He built every brick in the house out of the soil on there. He, he had no materials. He made all the irrigation systems, all the fences, all the round wood um, shearing shed. My auntie Shirley, who was born on the property, still runs that sheep farm to this ah. day. And they, you know, I was mentioning to you before, yeah. Bushy, that the number of times 8-gauge wire comes up yeah. in my interviews, and it didn't make <laughs> its way into the book, but everything can be fixed with a bit of wire. Mm. And they did make it into the book. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You haven't I, read it for a while. I haven't. I, a fish memory. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what it's like. You finish a book and it's like, 
Yeah, it, I, it, you don't want to get near it for a while. That's right. No, no, it's a good section. Well, I feel like the, mod, the modern <laughs> equivalent of that eight gauge each wire is is duct tape, and there's that you know the yeah. great adage: if you can't fix it with duct tape, you need more duct tape. That's but right. Was my that car showing was, up a lot? With yeah, yeah. Well, with in my my yeah. work, my car was held together with duct tape no. for a long time. <laughs> no. Yeah. I wonder if the DeLorean must have had some <laughs> duct tape on it. That futuristic time traveling car. Is that the same as Gaffer? Now, gaffer tape sort yeah. of got a mesh through it and it's black and, and musicians oh. used to stick wire to the stage. Yeah, mine was gaffer. Ah, mm. gaffer. Yeah, that's mm. tougher. But I heard about a guy who made a, a canoe frame once out of PVC pipe and then just sort of, instead of fibreglass or anything, made um, the hull out just of gaffer tape and oh, gaffer. Yeah. For like five or six <laughs> rolls of it. And, and it, it floated. It got out there. That's duct awesome. mache. Duct mache. Yeah. Oh, that sounds stupid. <laughs> Uh, talking again about the experience of the work of uh, tinkering, mm. there's a great bit uh, in the book where you point out that the phrase work-life balance implicitly points out that work and life are oppositional to each mm. other. Mm. That I'm is not so the, ex- glad you brought that up. the experience of the tinkerer, though, is it? Because I was prepared for that question. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so um, tinkerers, they tend to regard their tinkering as a vocation and not as mm. a vocation. And so the, the idea is some of them had um, formal work commitments, but most of us kind of organise our lives around our work, mm. uh, externally imposed regimes, which is totally unnatural and... Mm. And, and, and crap. And, uh, that's an academic term I use. <laughs> I like it. I, I coined it. <laughs> um, and so, you know, when, when you're organising your life around your work, even your leisure time is organised around work. And the, the work-leisure fragmentation of your selfhood is, is, is disintegrated, you know. And mm. you're one person for work, you're one person for leisure. And so I think that was a, a great thing with, with, with the people I spoke to. Their leisure was their work. They love what they do. Often they didn't have any particular work regime. As you know, if, you, if you're working on many tinkering projects at once and you're waiting for parts for something or the day's not right to go to the roof, you'll, you'll just go on to something else. So yeah. it's, hmm. it's not as if they woke up and had a set, set of tasks. Yeah. It, it was more fluid than that. But, but with meditation, often you have a chant that you have in your mind that shuts down the verbal part of your mind. Mm-hmm. I've never meditated, but I'm told it's really good for you. Um, <laughs> Uh, this morning around the breakfast table, I was talking with a friend about how we could make a... We're looking at a popcorn maker. I was like, I wonder if you could have a continuous flow one. Yeah. And uh, could it come out of the wall so you just press a button and so there's, you've got, like, popcorn on tap? And for 15 minutes there, my mind was just thinking about the internal workings of that popcorn maker and how you could change it and how you could adapt it. And uh, for a second there, I was unconcerned about all my um, inadequacies. And world peace. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. But it was and great. climate change. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's true. Um, one of my um, protagonists, Mark Thompson, um, describes tinkering as an intense focus on a small closed world mm-hmm. and and it really is and and, and I, I do well used to meditate and um and i do think yeah i do think there's a correlation i think it's a mm. it, it's a way of meditating without um without that kind of doctrine attached mm. yeah you were saying before as well that they, they, they're not people who have a strategy so there's not actually a set or fixed outcome and it was interesting as a part in the book i'm going back to that iphone shaped gadget yeah. the fellow made which was a, a chalk slate board and when you went to visit him um he had like sort of a dozen of them that hadn't worked out that were discarded so 
you know, it, it's, it's interesting, I guess I'm coming to that because you don't always tinker for a purpose. Like, it's not always to repair a thing that must be fixed mm. and has to work soon, and it's not necessarily an artistic expression or whatever. Sometimes it just is. It's an idea that you just keep trying to execute for the sake of it. Is that That's uh, clearly showing up in the mindset of a lot of the folks you spoke to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the people I... Like, no fixed outcome, but... That's right. No fixed outcome. Mm. Exactly. Well, um, Mark used to say there are no key performance indicators yeah. for, for tinkering. But, you know, on the other hand, though, these people were perfectionists in a way yeah. um, and, and very highly skilled, some some better skilled than professionals. You know, mm. some of them had a profound mistrust of professionals. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and felt that they did their, their stuff better, even though a lot of things they legally weren't supposed to be doing, yeah. but they felt they did it better than the professionals yeah, yeah. who were legally permitted. Mm. But that, with, the, with that isolate, clearly... Chris was just trying to get it right and he had so many discarded prototypes Mm. and if it was me, I would have probably given up. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast, (laughs) etc. You're greening the apocalypse on 3 Triple R. It's a kind of show about... Stuff. Stuff. Mm. Yeah, stuff that might happen and things we can do about it. And tonight we're talking with Catherine Wilson. We'll call her Kath in the studio, but if you're looking, Googling her, Google that. And her book is Tinkering, Australians Reinvented DIY Culture. Before the break, we were talking about, partially about the experience of people that, it, that you describe as tinkerers, the pleasure they get in their work. And another thing that you bring out about why people do it is the sense of agency. And this is something I really related to, um, thinking of coming out of the school system with no very few physical skills, a bit of woodworking you did. And I, I think like a lot of people, that sense of not being aware of what you're capable of as you, as you, when you leave school is actually um, disorientating and kind of depressing at some levels as well. Because not only do you not, are you not aware of what you're capable of, most of your motivation has been externally enforced. Mm-hmm. And now you're, now you're out in the world and you either get a, get a real job or you be, become a boho and get depressed because you don't really know what you're capable of and you don't have much motivation to learn. Mm-hmm. The, the way you put it in the book is that our education is largely based around knowing that, mm-hmm. as in knowing that something is a particular way, rather than knowing how, yeah, yes. as in how to do something. Yeah. And I, I think... Yeah, part, part of my road out of like, you know, just run, run of the mill 20-something depression was learning to figure out how to do things, not mm. just with my hands, but, you know, on the internet and everything. But mm, mm. To, let's, let's talk to the sense of agency that, yeah. that tinkerers get. Yes. Well, there are a lot of scholars now um, talking about DIY skills, reclaiming those in first world economies because we have become de-skilled in our knowledge economy. Hmm. And there's one in in the States called Matthew Crawford, and he he argues that we've become a nation of learned helplessness when it comes to our gadgets and, and... or, you know, our, uh, we've lost a lot of material competency. Mm. And he sees that as a, a, a moral issue, not not only in environmental terms, but in, in what's something at the core of being human, and that is human agency, your sense mm. of agency in the world. Mm. And um, and so he, he argues for reacquaintance with material literacy, material competence. And I, that's the thing I felt, a- again, you know, when I was renovating this house, that... 
it doesn't matter that we don't have much money, I can do this. And, and, and that propels you on to the next project. And I think um, the guy I was talking about before, Michael Candy, who's done a lot of um, kind of protest devices, like uh, resistance mm. devices, I think that gives him a sense of agency too. Like, it, you know, it, it's very depressing if you, if, if, if you want to object to G20 Summit and you can't go within three blocks and so your, your protest is diffused, you know. It's very depressing when the state imposes barriers to public participation. But tinkerers um, tend to have a, a much bigger sense of agency. I, mm. this, this is what I found anyway. Yeah. yeah. And sense of self-reliance. And, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Autonomy. Yeah. yeah. And yet community. They're yeah. not exclusive. Yeah. 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 So it's, it seems like a pretty good deal that they're enjoying the work and out of it they, they just feel more of a human and, and yeah. uh, less afraid of the world and more like, you know, they can take care of themselves. I think so. Yeah. I think so. It's a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see that a lot. Um, something that I, I know noth- almost nothing about, I never got on board, but people who, like, I think you referred to rev heads as well. Pet, or, yeah. Car enthusiasts, yeah. like, I, and I, I know a few guys and girls who have got, you know, my wife's got a, a great old '63 Volkswagen that's sort of on the on the schedule to fix up. But when I hear car enthusiasts speak to each other, and they both might be working on the same model car, they've got a mind map of every little mm. thing. And they say, "Oh, did you get that? You know that heater hose you were having problems? Yeah, I got one. Oh, was it the thing thing or that one? Yeah. No, it was that one. Oh, yeah, yeah." And um, they're actually able to take a walk through the entire workings of that car together that's in right. their minds. That's Right. through words which you don't do with a modern car and you and, and so forth i love the bit in the book where you mention um this guy who he, he wanted to get his gearbox repaired and the mechanic said oh, i yeah. can't do that but he pulled it apart and did it himself right. and then from that point on every time he changed gears and there's a click or a clock you know yeah. some sound he can visualize what's happening that's yeah. right that's right and i i think mm. sorry that's it that both of you have really good points because one of my arguments in the book is that this is a, a form of material scholarship. You know, we talk about scholarship, you know, I've, I've done this PhD and it's valued more highly than someone who's a motoring enthusiast, mm-hmm. which is bullshit because, as, as you say, they've got intensely deep knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, when you immerse yourself in that world, you realise that this is a culture, you know, we think of culture as high culture. Mm. This, is a, this is really deep culture with deep knowledge and, and deep intelligence. And, and a, a guy I talk about, Adrian Matthews in, in, at mm. Macclesfield in South Australia, you know, even among mechanics he was told that uh, he couldn't convert his mineral diesel engines to um, biodiesels and night after night he lay awake imagining just like with your popcorn machine yeah, yeah. <laughs> imagining how he could and yeah. he did he, he found that if he put a shot of mineral diesel in first and 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 mm. and then the engine switched he could mm-hmm. do this and and so to, to me that you know this is everyday invention it's it's not it's not bill gates it's not your mm. heroic inventors but these people are doing what I see is pretty heroic things, and they're, yeah. they're unsung, unsung people. The, I remember years ago, one of my favourite bands, Tool, put out an album in about 2001, and during the interviews following that album, they kept saying in the interviews, every time we wrote a new song, we realised how much more we had in us and mm. how much more potential just mm. from pushing ourselves and learning this new thing, we learnt ten new things. And yeah. I think that's what I take mm. away from this book, and my... And, Adam, possibly the same, Coles, every time you do a new thing, and it might be cooking something or it might be fixing something in your shed or whatever new experience it does, if you're open to that, and these tinkerers seem to be more than many people, you're just so much more open to that next thing. And and the fellow who reassembled his gearbox is Mm. probably now inherently 
just learn 10 or 20 new things. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think um, there are a few craft scholars. Who, uh, there was one, Glenn Adamson, oh, Richard Sennett, sorry, who, um, who, who said, you know, it's easier... Um, I'm, I'm probably bastardising his quote, but he said, you know, it's easier to teach a plumber how to wire than, a, than an academic or something yeah. because they've already got craft skills. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew this, you know, from a child is learning to weld, you know, I'd go into town and there'd be this balustrade and I'd think, oh, my God, what a neat weld. You know, you notice things. You know, if you do stonewalling, <laughs> you notice the workings of walls yeah. and, you know, you start noticing things that you'd never notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found, uh, yeah, when I started doing stonewalling 15 years ago, um, I noticed it everywhere and then my wife noticed it everywhere and then my kids now notice stonewalls everywhere. It's like being pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you a, notice pregnant women everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but kind of. So, Kath, do you have a big shed? Or do you have a? Uh, do you I have, have some, a very have, messy shed that hasn't yeah. been used because I was doing a PhD. I, you know, <laughs> I, I call myself a tinkerer, but I haven't really. You know, I put a window in the house uh, some time ago and put up <laughs> a dodgy chook fence that's fallen down. And you know, I, you know, I, I want to get back into tinkering. Yeah, I have yeah. a nice shed. It's got power and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's concrete floor, and I have a nice shed that's underutilized. Mm. Yeah. But now the book is done. Now the book is done and, you know, once all the the media gigs are over, I'm going to be a tinkerer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Well, uh, the book is called Tinkering, Australians Reinvent DIY Culture. It's out through Monash University Publishing. Um, have you got more radio gigs lined up? Uh, two more that I know of. Yeah, cool. Because you'll always stack them up against this one, like, for, yeah, for quality. Oh, look, this is the best. <laughs> yeah, by far. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we shoot on Radio National Bushy. RN. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. And Triple R is where you are. And we're going to kick into the wrap-up of the show. This evening's guest was Kath Wilson. Uh, her pen name is Catherine Wilson. <laughs> if you're looking for her book, Tinkering, Australians Reinvent DIY Culture. It's out now through Monash University Publishing. Where can the peoples find out more about your book, about tinkering and fixing stuff? And uh, In all good bookshops, of course. Yep, and the bad ones <laughs> as well? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Sweet. Um, uh, I think you get a $1.35 discount in the bad ones. Oh, nice. But, you know, people can join their local repair cafes. They mm-hmm. can... Um, they can go to tool library, you know, just do a Google search. I fix it online. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah lot, I noticed lot. you mentioned them a bit. Now, those, those guys, are uh, you can buy toolkits through their iFixit website and they've done like reverse engineering stuff yeah. for those strange little screws on Apple stuff and mm-hmm. um, all sorts of, yeah. Yeah, you know what, I, I don't know how to fix a mobile phone, but a lot of people start off that way mm. I, I, I'm, I'm clueless about that but there's also a, a wonderful magazine I had to promote something from the US but it's called Make Magazine mm. yep. and um, oh, it's pretty fantastic I've <laughs> I've got so many issues at home haven't made a thing out of it <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's porn you've been writing a book <laughs> But one of the best things is just to take a look at things, isn't it? If, you, if you've got something that's not working, if you're going to throw it out anyway, there's no harm in pulling it apart. That's right. Unless it has a large capacitor that could, you know, electrocute you. But in general, you know, you can act, it's amazing what you can figure out just by giving that's yourself it. some space to yeah. learn. And then you try YouTubing or going to iFixit. That's yeah. right. And yeah. friends. Friends are always love mm. sharing knowledge, you know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it... It brings social connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, an old, an old fellow, I used to teach at Swinburne as a TAFE teacher for a while, and there was an old fellow there who could just, he could, 
pull everything apart and fix it. And I had this old circular saw and it was stuffed because the, evidently the bushes or the brushes had worn down. Mm. And I handed it to him and I said, can you fix this? And he, he looked me in the eye and goes, just let me get one thing straight. I can't make this worse, can I? I said, no, no. He goes, all right. Yeah. And he took it home and he brought it back and he plugged it in phew, harder than ever. It went like a fury. And he said, I'm going to teach you how to fix it next time. And he just very quickly pulled it apart, showed me what the problem had been, uh, explained that I should clean the dust out of it a bit more and all this sort of stuff. And that was great. That was an old timer taking the time to tinker on my saw, yeah. rev it yeah. up a bit, and just sort of show you that this was so much less mysterious than I thought yep. Yes, for this power tool. So if you're out there, yeah, if you've got something that's busted and you quite literally can't make it worse, there's every chance you can make it better. That's right. Indeedy. Hey, uh, thanks for writing your book. Oh, thank you. you. You should get tinkering when you get home. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's a good, uh, you know, salute. Get tinkering. Get tinkering. <laughs> Kath Wilson, Tinkering Australians Reinvent DIY Culture. Thanks very much for punching the buttons there, Kent. And uh, Colsey, we're going to go for a swim after this, aren't we? Yep. Go and punch out some laps. And uh, Adam, next week it looks like we're going to have... Uh, Professor Steve Keen, The Economist, his latest book is um, Can We Avoid Another Financial Crisis? I think the short answer is no, but it's very fascinating <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to find out why. <laughs> Nonetheless, so you'll be speaking to him in the next few days. We will see you next Tuesday. But until then, get have tinkering. all the fun and get tinkering. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.